podcast, huge news before we get into this episode. Right now, go to garyvee.com slash search. That sends you to uh, search.garyvaynerchuk.com, my new search engine. This is the 3.0. Some of you have seen it in the past. This is by far the best version. I mean, you're going to be blown away if you have any questions or thoughts or ideas of what I've said about something, literally anything, (laughs) go into the search engine and type it in. Uh, Also, because today's the big launch, uh, take a screenshot and uh, show me on Twitter what you searched. I know a lot of you are gonna search fuck to see how many times I said it. So anyway, regardless, around TikTok, around insurance agents, about what I would do if I was a doctor, uh, around LinkedIn, around anything you choose, this search engine is powerful. Go to garyvee.com slash search. Check it out or go to my website and check on the toolbar. You can see the search engines there. Uh, would love for you to use it. I think it's gonna be a huge resource for a lot of you. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Go check it out. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hi everyone. And welcome to VaynerX Presents Gen Z for the Now. I'm Andrea Sullivan, the CMO of VaynerX. And we took a bit of a pause to support our black and brown communities over the past couple of weeks. But we're back and we thank you for joining us. This week, we'll be focusing on all things Gen Z. We'll have VaynerX Chairman and CEO Gary Vaynerchuk and and VaynerMedia's Chief Strategy Officer co-hosting the conversations today with an amazing lineup of speakers. We've got Gen Z influencers, brand and business leaders, activists, nonprofit CEOs, and entrepreneurs. Just a couple quick reminders, you can find all of the recordings of Marketing for the Now on VaynerX.com, and we'll be posting them on social as soon as they're ready, so stay stay tuned. Please help us in keeping the conversation going on Twitter, hashtag Marketing for the Now, and feel free to write us with any kinds of remarks or questions on MarketingForTheNow at VaynerX.com. So first up, we've got our beloved Wanda Pogue. VaynerMedia's very own Chief Strategy Officer who joined us just last year. She was with Saatchi and Saatchi for almost 19 years. Gary will be leading a conversation with Wanda about some Gen Z research that we just recently fielded. Over to you guys. Thanks for that, Andrea. Uh, Wanda, it is super fun to have you uh, uh, with us today. This is the first time we're doing a Vayner X uh, team member on this show. So first of all, to everybody, I've also been super head down working on all sorts of things uh, in many different arenas, personal and obviously with the organization and COVID and Black Lives Matter and all those things of that nature. And so I just, uh, I miss a lot of you. I will be back with T with Gary V next week. I'm making that announcement on here on Marketing for Now. I know a lot of you have been asking. We have an incredible uh, lineup, but let's start with Wanda. So Wanda, as Chief Strategy Officer, obviously the first kind of six months, uh, eight months that we've been jamming together, you've been very focused on the internal team and getting the organization going. But one of the things we talked a lot about uh, when, when I was courting you to join the team was doing our own studies on things that we were passionate about. And, and I'm really excited that Gen Z is the first one. Uh, I think it is the most exciting generation for me personally in a lot of ways. So A, say hello. And uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a context for uh, the work you and the team have done over the last several months? Absolutely. Hey, Gary. Um, look at us. Um, yeah, we're here. <laughs> Super excited to be here. Thank you for having me um, and for giving me this opportunity to share the stage with you and to host with you. Um, this is a topic, and like you said, um, we we actually talked very early on when we first met about the possibility of really kind of fueling our knowledge 
and our passion for culture by really going deep and doing studies across a numerous, you know, different cohorts. Gen Z is something I'm incredibly passionate about. I share your your excitement with it. I think that this is such an incredible generation, incredibly powerful, incredibly inspiring, incredibly moving. So I'm glad that this is where we started. We just fielded a quant study um, on mobile, which also had the ability to be able to get some really rich, you know, video selfies um, to some really provocative questions. So I'm excited to share. Uh, we did it through the lens of COVID, but also through the lens of everything that's happening that's impacting Gen Z as well. So I'm excited to kind of get into some of those details um, so, with you in the audience. So I know a lot of non-marketers are watching, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people in my community, a lot of different communities, nonprofit, things of that nature. So let's, let's go into some rapid fire. Like let's quantify who is Gen Z yeah. and, and, and what's their range and, and why should we care? Yeah, I'll give you a little bit of the lowdown. So Gen Z are young adults and kids who are currently between the ages of eight to 23. So that means that they were born anywhere from 1997 to 2012. Okay. Um, they are, to kind of put that in context, these are kids and young adults who are entering middle school, high school, college, or the workforce for the very first time. And I think one of the most important things for marketers to kind of keep in mind is that they're 91 million strong and they represent about 25% of the total US population. They have a spending power that is profound, um, about 150 billion in spending power. But the most interesting thing about, um, about them that I think we'll get into as we kind of go into the details of the study is that their influence on their household is even more powerful. So that's one of the things that we found that we'll be talking about a little bit more. What's the contrast to the millennials? Obviously that's been the word that's come out of everybody's mouth for so long now. And so watching Gen Z starting to get attention, I'm curious to watch everybody quantify this gen versus millennials. Obviously, you know, when we bucket people into groups, there's always, you know, stereotypes that don't react in different way. For example, I don't, I don't feel very, what am I, am I generation X? I'm trying to figure out that out, but you know, I feel Gen you're Gen X. <laughs> but nonetheless, how do they contrast? Like you're a Gen Z or at heart. <laughs> what, how do they contrast with uh, millennials just for the marketers that are on right now? Yeah, and, and, and you're right in terms of many marketers kind of lump them together. I think um, I'll kind of start with some of the demographics. So, you know, they are one of the most racially and ethnically diverse groups. Um, even more so than millennials. So, you know, when millennials was the hot topic, everyone talked about how diverse they were. Um, Gen Z is even more diverse. So 52% are white, 14% are black, 25% Hispanic, 6% Asian, um, and, and also very diverse in their mindset and the way that they think. I think um, some of the other things that I think it's important for marketers to kind of keep in mind when they look at, you know, how Gen Z compares is, um, you know, while, Gen while millennials were or are digital natives, Gen Z is truly social media native. You know, so that's one of the things that that I think is really critical. They they adopt platforms really early. They are engaged in a lot of different platforms and digital is not just their world. Social media is their world and their feed. 
The other thing that's really important to kind of keep in mind, and there's adjectives that get kind of assigned, you know, to every generation. And um, millennials were often talked about as being the optimistic, idealistic generation. The, the words that come up most often with Gen Z is they're incredibly pragmatic and real. And those are things that, you know, you see in their work ethic, you see in the way that they approach things, um, and you see it in how grounded they are, you know, in terms of being able to kind of take reality, but also um, remain optimistic within that reality. And then if there's one thing that I would focus on that kind of helps, you know, explain um, who they are and their attitudes are their formative years, you know, so this is a generation that was really born into the recession of, you know, they were either born or formed and grew up in, in the Great Recession of 2009. You know, they have been schooled under the constant threat of mass shootings and lockdown drills, and that has shaped their school and their schooling experience. You know, they're also witnessing and have witnessed some of the greatest societal and political turmoil and all of that kind of makes them who they are. And if that wasn't enough, you know, they are living through one of the first global pandemics. So all of those things kind of shape not only who Welcome they are. to the world, kids. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. And so what, what stood out the most, you know, so that's the framework, you know, before we let you run here and obviously you'll be interjecting throughout this, what kind of what kind of stood out um, in in you know what are the headlines you know not from the macro that you just set up but what are some of the individual things because I do think there's a ton of entrepreneurs and marketers on here who are going to try to figure out how to connect you know hopefully if they're if they're in this group of people watching right now they've they're under some sort of ethos of like let's bring value let's not just sell or manipulate to this generation plus the pragmatic nature and the in inability to trick you know, in a world where there's so much more um, information, you know, what's the right angle? You know, I, I called it jab, 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 right hook when I wrote my book years ago, give, 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 and then ask, you know, and I think a lot of people try to manipulate, manipulate and take, you know, so trying to, trying to form entrepreneurs and businesses here in a way that might bring value to them as well. What are some of the insights that they can take away from this you know, free conference and, and maybe build on and experiment with their content to see if they can start to resonate? Yeah, so, you know, I'm going to share like five different findings that we found, but the one thing that I would point out that was surprising, but also incredibly inspiring about this generation is that it's not all gloomy. I know that I just like listed a whole litany of what their realities have been like and, and what has kind of formed them. But when you talk to them, when you look at the responses, um, I think what gives you a, a, a great amount of hope and respect for this generation is their resilience, their determination, their pragmatism, and their in, ingenuity, you know, their ability to create, to kind of pivot, you know, when life throws some real hardballs at them. You know, we did this survey during a really critical time when there was a lot going on in their lives, and they're still hopeful and optimistic about the change that can actually come about. And I think that that's where brands can kind of help them play a role, you know, um, helping them realize the ambitions that they have and helping them really champion the things that they are incredibly passionate about. I love that. What, um, what, do you, what, what surprised you, Wanda? Anything, anything stand out? Yeah, I, you yeah. Know, 
um, it, it's really it's really hard when you kind of conduct a survey. You've you've talked to a thousand people. You have all of this data, but there were five things that really kind of stood out um, for me and for my team. And I want to give a real big shout out to my team who were so instrumental in in fielding this study and and just kind of helping you know pull out the really rich nuggets. Um, I think the the first one, and it kind of goes to that point of optimism is if I had to define this generation in any way, is that they dream with their eyes wide open, you know, and like it's that. really kind of who they are, you know, so of course, you know, they have dreams and ambitions and hopes for the future, but they're also tempered realists. And, you know, they kind of approach their dreams first and foremost, looking for stability and safety, both financial and, and emotional. And a lot of that has to do with everything that I just mentioned in terms of what they were born into. Um, but, you know, when they look to the future as optimistic as they are, they are, they are grounded. So, um, you know, some of the things that we found is that they're two, two times, you know, um, more likely to be hopeful about the future. And, um, and they really believe that, you know, despite the fact that COVID, you know, and, and we did this through the lens of COVID is bringing about some uncertainty. They are taking actions to ensure that the future that lies ahead for them is something that can be positive for them. You know, so this is a generation that, you know, and some of this makes me a little bit sad instead of pursuing, you know, um, you know, English as a major, which they may absolutely love, they're kind of doing things that are a lot more practical where they can ensure that they, they'll be able to land a really good job. You know, so, when so they- graduate. Was there anything, was there, did, it, did, it, did it get into anything on their point of view of college? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, this is, this is gonna be the, the generation that's most educated. They believe in the value of education, but they believe in the value of education, not in the romantic sense, in the very practical sense. You know, there is, there is a realization that in order to be able to compete in the job market, you may need to have that college degree, but they don't stop there. You know, they, they are quite intuitive in knowing that they need to bring very practical skills, you know, and apply that practicality. They're doers. They, you know, they know that they need to be the ones that are filming, that are editing, that are creating Making. the content, that are ideating. You know, that's just kind of who they are. So it's a combination. Do they have a point of view on millennials or did that, did it not go into that? No, didn't go into that. Any hot takes, random <laughs> guesses? <laughs> All right, what, what else before we move on to our next incredible guest, which I've been like kind of very excited um, about. So know, I want to make sure you get in, go ahead. They're mobilized for change, you know? So um, we often talk about how socially driven they are. And um, one of the things that we found is that 81% are planning to show up at the next election. And this number was actually higher among Blacks than their, their, than their white counterparts or USH counterparts. You know, they know that in order to be able to impact change, they need to be able to cast their vote. So that was another big thing that we found um, in order, you know, they're vocal, they're activists, but they know that they also have a responsibility come November. Um, I think one of the other things that's really surprising, and this, this is something that I think marketers need to kind of bear in mind, is that they also see the good in big. So very much, you know, kind of in line with their pra pragmatic nature. You know, when we ask them, what are the brands that they love? I think some people might be surprised that some of the brands that they called out 
are, are brands like Amazon, Google, you know, the Walmarts of the world. And that's very different than millennials who had kind of, you know, this, this disdain for big corporations and big institutions. And I think the reason why Gen Z really feels passionate about like some of these brands is that not only do they appreciate them for their convenience and accessibility and their ability to be able to kind of, they see the utility in them, but I think importantly, they also know that in order for pendulums to swing and change to really happen, they are quite cognizant that it needs to happen at a level, at a corporate level. You know, it many, many times that's where change can, can impact and they see that, you know, so um, they don't demonize large corporations. They actually see them as a part of, of the change the that they want to see take place. I love that. Yeah. You know, I, so I love that. I love that from the optimistic nature of it. I, you know, I think, Optimism tends to out-operate cynicism. And I like it because it's gonna hold corporations accountable because that's gonna be the consumer and that's going to be leverage over time. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last two findings, you know, um, and, and one that we're really leaning into at Vayner is this notion of parenting the parents. You know, hmm. so, so Gen Zers are, you know, they're the new family influencers. And that's why, you know, when you talk about their spending power, you almost need to look at it more broadly, you know, because they are truly impacting not only the behaviors within the home, the adoption of new social platforms within the homes, but also the brands that come into the homes. Um, you know, so, um, and even the societal view. So we, we had, and I'll just read you this one quote from a young female that we interviewed. She said, I offered my dad advice on some racist things that he had been taught as a child, and I'm trying to help educate him on why it's wrong. So it's on all levels that Gen Z is kind of impacting and influencing the household. Love that. Love that. Anything else, Wanda, before we move on to our next yeah. guest? The last one was about trist twisting traditions. So okay. if anything has come out of COVID is that a lot of their their monumental milestones have kind of been put on delayed or canceled. And another way that brands can kind of play a role is, you know, to kind of invite them in and allow them to kind of realize some of these milestones, either virtually, which Gen Z is actually, you know, trying to do themselves, or in a forum that kind of allows them to experience the things that they're missing out on. So those were like some of the bigger findings, but um, you know, it was just, it was great to do. And just, I walked away from this with even greater respect, you know, for this generation. I think that we can all learn a thing or two from them. I love it. I appreciate the hard work by you and the team. Looking forward to turning a lot of those thoughts into practicality. Andre, why don't we uh, get on to our next guest one. I'm going to ask you to interject as we, we speak with, uh, Haley, in a second, yeah. and see if and you that, hear I'll anything. I'll actually introduce the next guest for you. Oh, even better. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, so, I'm so used to Andre. Andre, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm break, listen, I'm breaking patterns. Speaking of breaking patterns, uh, hashtag marketing for the now. I see a lot of you on Twitter. I'm kind of reading along uh, in real time and want to incorporate people's thoughts, questions, things of that nature. So please give us our thoughts on our unbelievable Wanda here with hashtag marketing for now. And definitely, I think you're going to get a lot of great quotes and excitement from our next guest, which will set up Wanda to introduce her. Yes. So I'm very, very excited to introduce Haley Thomas. So Haley is CEO and founder of the Happy Organization, which is a youth 
founded and led organization by Gen Z for Gen Z that aims to achieve youth empowerment through holistic education, unlocking, activating, fueling the inherent superpowers of this generation. Haley founded the organization in 2013 to address the need for more affordable nutrition and culinary education in at-risk communities. And I will tell you, um, she, she started her activism at the age of 10. At 19, she's engaged over 100,000 people. My daughter is a fan um, and a huge admirer. And in her words, Haley is a badass. <laughs> so, um, welcome, welcome, Haley. We're thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here and just grateful for this space being created to really dive into all that is Gen Z. Haley, thank you so much for being on. It's a real pleasure. I hope you're doing well. Before we go, before we go into this, please give your Twitter handle because I want everybody following you and more importantly, uh, you know, engaging in any chance that they have on social. Yes, uh, my Twitter handle is at Haley V Thomas. Haley without the Y, so H A I L E V like Victor Thomas. Funny, I use V like Victor too when I have to. Pronounce <laughs> so Haley, why why Happy Org? What what was the what was the fine? You know, obviously when you start activism at ten, it's in your it's in your blood, it's in your DNA, it's in your environment. But what what's the tipping point that happen, that starts the Happy Org? And, and for everybody watching, how do you describe it in your own words? Yes, absolutely. Um, so for Happy, it really started after my family was able to reverse my dad's type 2 diabetes without the use of medication, but changing our lifestyle and eating healthier. And so this happened when I was around like eight or nine years old. And the really revolutionary thing that happened within our family was that when my dad was diagnosed, my parents didn't choose to shelter me and my little sister from what was going on and, you know, to try to make it seem like nothing was wrong, but instead included me and my sister in learning about the condition and about ways that we could potentially heal him without the use of medication. And so in many ways, I have been raised as like a, I like to call it like a productive conspiracy theorist in terms of <laughs> really researching and looking into all possibilities and so through this journey of learning about health and wellness and changing our habits and eventually seeing the power of food heal my dad i was you know in school looking around like where where is this education i've learned so much about how valuable it is to nourish and fuel my body and my potential through food but my peers have no idea and so um at first my activism was a little rusty i was definitely doing a lot of um <laughs> a lot of shaming and like <laughs> <laughs> you eat this pizza, you're going to clog your arteries type of thing. And then I started to realize that that approach was not effective and it was more so approaches through the heart and through vulnerability and relation that was really going to create the change that I wanted to see. And so that's when um, I started sharing the story and eventually forming happy because that resource of fun and engaging uh, nutrition education just wasn't available, especially from a peer to peer perspective. So um, that's kind of a little story behind it. What's, what's your relationship with creativity? You know, obviously, when you think about fun and engaging creative to get people there or communication, A, what's your relationship with it? And B, to bring value to everybody who's watching around Gen Z, what's your observation being so deep in it on this generation's process with creativity? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of creativity, that has played a huge role in my life. And I think uh, kind of 
tunnel visioning back on vulnerability, I think creativity requires that thing. And Gen Z really steps into honesty and truth and sharing that and digesting that internally and externally. And so for us, I think creativity is like the foundation of our expression. And it's a way for us to innovate and think of and reimagine kind of the world that we want to see and want to live within. And so right now I've been just so proud of uh, myself and others who are really showing up in these authentic and genuine ways that are honestly entry points for so many different people. And I think that's what's really brilliant about creativity is that it allows for anyone to, you know, get value out of that without there being kind of this one focus or one perspective, but really so many different angles that people can relate to and, and find themselves within and learn through. And so uh, for us, I think creativity is, is such a big piece. And it's, it's something that we haven't let society stifle. I mean, so much of our education system has tried to, you know, squeeze creativity out of our um, daily engagement and things like that, but we're finding Haley, ways do you, to- do you, do, you, do you feel that Gen Zers recognize that, that the machine of the way education is structured, back to Wanda's point earlier, it's a generation that values education, but the way it's being executed and the way it's being sold, I've, I've been very interested and engaged in tens of thousands of conversations with Gen Zers around the lack of practicality of taking on debt and the fact that for entrepreneurship or creativity, the structure of K through 12 seems to be missing the mark. Do you, have, did you feel that? Was that common talk? Oh, absolutely. Um, I always have conversations with my friends about just the fact that we've been able to observe the ways that society has you know, failed generations before us. And I think that we are also utilizing this opportunity of alternative education to be far more informed and engaged than ever before. So for me personally, you know, I decided not to go to college because of the debt aspect, but also the fact that I can learn so much in the field that I'm interested in through alternative education forms. And so for us, I think we're just redefining what success looks like, the avenues for education and the ways that we can also learn from and teach each other and other generations. What's been beautiful to see, and, and Wanda kind of touched on this earlier, is that this structure of teacher and student is completely deconstructed at this point. We're seeing this yes, intergenerational yeah. learning and collaboration, and I think that is a really beautiful thing to see. Haley, talk to me about, you know, it's funny, you're talking, you know, I made the joke earlier that I feel so Gen Z and really the reality is my biggest connection point with the generation is fire. You know, like I have a whole lot of it. Um, <laughs> you have a whole lot of it. Like, you, do, you, do you see that? And what's the blend of like, it's, you know, back, you know, Wanda, Wanda articulated it in a pragmatic way, but I think we'd be remiss back to all the things that this generation grew up in back to Wanda's point, school shootings, many things, you know, recessions, many things that the half generation right before that didn't have to deal with. You know, I think the fire comes, in my opinion, from a mix of that optimism, practicality, but I do think there's a lot of angst in the system. There is a lot of, you know, it's also a generation that grew up with social media in a way that 95% of them care about how many followers and likes, and you start getting into, you know, a scaled version of popularity from high school. And, and I, I do sense in all, in all these incredible traits, I do sense a little bit of angst leading to some of the fire. When you hear that word fire, do you agree with me? How do you interpret that? What are you seeing? I definitely agree and resonate with that. And I think that a lot of it is 
rooted in the fact that we've been able to identify our power and position in society far earlier than generations before us. And I think that's really key. Um, I know personally, you know, growing up, my parents always validated my voice and provided, you know, a platform for me to explore different topics and to explore the many facets of being human. And so I think that has also been replicated in many households. And for us, we've been able to also find our voice through online platforms and through connecting with each other and people from all over the world in ways that we've never been able to do before. So I think that in a way being empowered by each other is what's fueling this fire and being able to have a, a general scope and general awareness of the realities of our world is, is something that is allowing us to really step fully into our power and position in society. I think that the lack of illusions um, helps us understand how we can authentically step into this space and to shake things up. And I love that we're just demanding that rather than asking for it at this point. And it's it's beautiful to see us, you know, utilizing classic forms of civic engagement, but also realizing that there's so much more power in the ways that we just push forward as, as people. And I think that, um, that do you really think, do you think, do you think, social media's importance now at the top of the pedestal of communication with this generation's deep understanding of it is, you know, that's social slash this internet at this time is that, you know, besides parents' affirmation, that tool has given this generation the confidence, audacity, and just capability to play that role? Absolutely. Um, being able to validate each other and our experiences outside of our households has been something that I believe, you know, allows us to create this currency that is so transformational. We're able to really be able to see each other and hear each other and and move forward in a way that we're able to build um, something that truly aligns with us and who we are and the vision that we want to see. And so I think that it's great to have spaces where we don't have to explain ourselves too much and we can really come together over this common experience and the things that we are passionate about. Wanda, would love to get you to jump in here. Anything that you've observed that matches the study? Any question you might have for Haley? Any thoughts, observations for this incredibly um, awesome young woman? Um, incredible, Haley. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, you, you talked about your parents, and one of the things that we saw in the study is that when you asked Gen Z who they most admire, they most of them actually mentioned their parents, and that's also a shift from previous generations that would do sports heroes or, you know, celebrities. Um, what is it about your parents that you find most inspiring? And and why do you think so many Gen Zers are gravitating to their parents as role models today? I personally also find my parents to be my biggest inspirations and role models. And I think, again, this is rooted in the transparency. We've been able to see them fight through and work through so much and have been a part of those um, journeys and transitional phases within the household. So I think in many ways, there's just a, a deeper rooted connection to the people in our in our actual lives and seeing, you know, individuals grow and growing as a collective. I think that's what really creates inspiration is like being able to relate to the experiences. And, you know, I've been so happy to see this shift of, of power in terms of who is deemed as, you know, an influencer and who is deemed as having a voice worthy of listening to. I think that we're recognizing that there is so much power in just authentic experiences and, and holding space for those things and digesting them and really just getting to um, engage with people that we can relate to. I think that that 
for us is creating a path for change. And so when we are looking at our parents and we're seeing what we're going through, I think that it allows us to almost feel safe in exploring our humanity. And I know for a fact, like that has been my experience with my parents is just seeing them be human and not shield everything from me. And this, this rawness, I think is what is allowing us to shape a world that's um, far more genuine as well. Haley, uh, this was fantastic. Thank you so, so much for, for being on this with us. And if there's anything I can ever do for you going forward, please feel free to reach out. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. And um, so amazing to just be acknowledged in, in this space, our generation, and to have our voices be heard. Awesome. Uh, Wanda, want to say goodbye and introduce our next guest? Sure. Thank you so much, Haley. A pleasure. Um, well, our, our next guest is the wonderful Tracy Ann Lim, who is the Chief Media Officer for J.P. Morgan Chase. She recently took on this new role. Um, new and very important role. Um, Tracy and joined JP Morgan Chase after the agency side, which of course we love, um, having built her resume at companies including MediaVest Initiative, CARA, and the Media Assembly. Um, an internal memo regarding Tracy praised her for her amazing ability to deliver excellence across the company's entire performance um, marketing landscape. No small task, especially at a big institution, Welcome, Tracy. It is a pleasure to have you um, on Marketing for the Now. Hi, thank you. That was an amazing intro. Are you available for all meetings, Wanda? <laughs> I am, I am. Talk Tracy, to you. Yeah, Tracy, I, I text your, uh, your family. They put that together for you, so, you know. <laughs> Tracy, this is really fun for me. You know, through, these, uh, through this series, uh, we do have a mix of people that we actively work with. Uh, we get to actively work together with Chase and Boehner. You know, I've said this to you privately behind your back, and so I feel very comfortable saying this on a large uh, audience. You're one of the most knowledgeable practitioners of your craft that we get to work with, and I appreciate that because we, that's a big deal for us because we are a little bit more progressive, and if somebody doesn't know what you're talking about, you tend to not be able to achieve that with a client. So. It's just been a pleasure working with you and I'm really glad you're here. And I, obviously some of the things that you and Chase have been doing uh, resonates quite a bit here uh, in, in today's day. So what, what, Tracy, when, Tracy Ann, when you hear Gen Z, just for fun, before we get into it, how do, you, how do you play with word association on that? Who in your life is in that demo? If not, how have you observed it? Obviously being this chapter of your career in a bank, you know, maybe some of the insights that Wanda talked about as how they're influencing parents might be interesting, but obviously you're thinking a bit later down the pike, uh, but, but, the, but the high end of Gen Z becomes very important because you want to get them into the industry. Just in yeah. general, you as a person, you as an executive, Gen Z, little 411, what do you got? Gen Z, go. Well, I think Haley is the best representation I've, I've come across. It was a pleasure listening, listening to her speak. What I will tell you is that um, I think the danger lies in falling into cliches and bucketing people against like, you know, the, the truisms that you think are true of everyone. So I think everybody needs to um, check that, check themselves often when they read a brief, create a brief or talking to one another and trying to create something that um, avoiding cliches is really, really, really important. Talk to any millennial of which I am supposedly one, depending on which definition <laughs> you go by. Um, Cliches can really be dangerous. I think when I, th when I think about Gen Z, I think about their ability to change the world. I think about their fearlessness. 
Um, I worry for them, obviously, uh, in, the, in the moment they find, many of them find themselves coming out into the world from, from schools and universities and such. Um, so, so as a person, you know, I, I think that they are a tremendous force. And as an executive at JP Morgan Chase, I think um, we have a responsibility at the crosshairs of hopefulness and anxiousness, which we know that they're feeling. Your, your research shows that, our research shows that. Um, and it's an opportunity to step up and give them more of what they need. Talk to me about um, the, the, let's take a step out of, from one thing that Gen Z really has that I've noticed has been something you've been leaning into and I've been dying to ask you this, but I'm too busy so we don't get enough meetings together. <laughs> I think Gen Z in general is quite agile. You know, they think this and they're right, because I think it is like the remote control to society and you can move so, so fast. Yeah. What's, what's your, you know, what's your point of view on agility? You know, I, I watched you super agile uh, during COVID as an executive, thus driving the organization to be more agile than I've been accustomed to seeing it. Points of view on agility and maybe even how it plays into Gen Z? Um, okay, so agile for me in this moment has gone from being a word that we all throw around, that you see on a page, um, we try to design processes behind, you know, to try to force the issue. Um, but there's nothing quite like a pandemic to really make it happen. And so what we've seen is agility taking on lots of new and interesting forms. It's become the DNA of how, how the media team works at Chase and, and in fact the entire marketing community. And it's meant that we can, um, as a release, connecting agility to Gen Z is really easy. Um, we're not doing anything that would make them stand up and say, wow, you're doing something really surprising. Instead, I feel like agility for us is helping us meet them where they are. It's enabling us to be faster. It's enabling us to um, show up in more authentic and timely ways, which makes us more purposeful. But beyond that, I think it's, it's, it's put a stop to the idea that... Um, uh, the media people should get on with their stuff, the creative people get on with their stuff, the site people get on with their stuff, and eventually we'll come together and somehow it will work and we'll be able to iterate. Uh, I think Gen Z and the current environment are both unapologetically unaccepting of that. And um, so the meaning of agility for us has, has upended what, uh, many of the processes that we're used to, used to running. I'll tell you. Uh, my favorite meeting that I see come through at the moment is the one that starts with the word scrum. And, and explain that for everybody who doesn't know what that means. It means a whole bunch of people who would usually email one another over the course of a few weeks, get on a call and make it happen. I, one of my other favorite things at the moment is the meeting <laughs> happens whether most people can attend or not. So if you have most of who you need, get on with it, you know? And so right, it's whereas, kind of whereas breaking just, bad habits. Right, which is, you know, just for the entrepreneurial set and the SMB set that's watching yeah. this, corporate land is like incredible at being slow. So if two people are missing a meeting, it gets rescheduled and literally to get done right away. Correct. Being eight weeks later. Yeah, I mean, doing the right thing in terms of wanting to build consensus across big groups takes time. And I think... Um, this moment that we're in, we're in now has shifted the lens, meaning we, we choose speed. And so how do, we, how do we get that? How do we accomplish that? 
And how so, do we make sure we're catching up all of the stakeholders that we need to rather than waiting for them to attend? Does that make sense? It does, which, you know, it's all I've ever known. So it only makes sense. Corporate didn't make sense to me. And so I'm happy that it's starting to head in that direction. And speaking of speed and agility to that point, I think the best example that we worked together on was show me your walk. Talk to me about that. Explain to everybody what that was and talk to me about the learnings, the organization, because there's a big group of individuals here with humongous size companies. Uh, and so I think we're trying to have a good mix of individuals. So I'm so glad you're here. What was the learnings there? And what was that all about as context for everyone? So show me your walk was, um, was all about tackling a moment for this Gen Z group whom were, you know, the opportunity to walk the stage coming out of college, coming out of university was kind of taken away by the coronavirus and lockdown um, and quarantine. So unable to, to, to have that moment and reach that milestone in the ways in which they had expected and that generations past had had the opportunity to. So it just felt obviously very sad um, and an opportunity for us to lean into years and years and years of work and product development um, around the student cohort Right, so it's a group we've always cared about. And so this newfound agility and this newfound um, cross-functional units that we developed meant that we could see the opportunity and deliver and really show up. Um, and what we learned, Gary, is that even by just focusing on, on what is seemingly a small cohort, cohort, given that we're the bank for everyone, right? And we're used to talking at scale to lots and lots of audiences. But just focusing our energies there didn't mean that it was something small. For us, the teaching was pointing your energies in one area has the ability to light up the octagon in a really meaningful way. Um, in other words, people in branch, employees, on the investment side, on the consumer bank side, across the firm, Everybody felt the, the power of, of, the, of that campaign and what it meant. Um, and so really, um, we're really, really proud of it. I'm really, really proud of it. I know that your team were involved in it and I know that they're very proud of it. So, so um, not only was it the right thing to do, but it has given us a springboard to rethink and refocus um, how do we how do we ensure that we can continue to show up? How do we ensure that we are delivering full palettes of ideas for this group, right? Um, and instead of waiting for perfection, how do we iterate? How do we do more? Do you, do you, um, feel, do you feel that there was learnings on the big corporation side that perfection actually has a chance of making it less successful? Do you feel like because it went faster that the corporate side may have seen imperfections, but that's what Gen Z was, you know, raving and enjoying the most? Well, I think there's a lot of patience and tolerance in this COVID moment for imperfection. And so, so perhaps we were able to get away with it because of that. Um, what I will say to you, more than an imperfection idea, it was more about um, showing up in the right places and being comfortable with entering what we would have considered potentially uncomfortable territories, right? So we, um, we were imaginative and that's something to be proud of when you're a big firm like ours. And it's, it, 
it's not something you always get to do. And so case in point, um, I think we, we showed up in an unexpected way, but it was the right place to turn up in TikTok as part of Show Me Your Walk, right? And I say unexpected because I just don't think anybody would have expected Chase to arrive there <laughs> via Kevin Hart and his two dogs, right? Yes. So, um, so, so the lesson there being just purely from a media perspective, um, what's the right mix? How do we break our old campaign rules, right? So there's a rigidity to, you know, frequency management and um, impression levels that you need in order to succeed. There's a lot of science that goes into to, uh, delivering yep. great campaigns. And I think what Gen Z is teaching us and what Show Me Your Walk taught us is that um, sometimes you have to throw the rule book out um, and get comfortable with new mechanisms. Like, for example, is a frequency of 180 right or wrong? Maybe it's right for a younger group who, who spend just a few seconds with you here and there, right? So, um, and, and that's being dramatic and don't anybody quote me on the 180. I'm not gonna go buy campaigns you, you, for frequency you, of 180. You, you, that's just a throwaway now. On, on the record, I'm super interested in frequencies of 180. I want, <laughs> I want, I want 5 billion impressions into people's minds over and over and over. And because what you're talking about though is the old guard thinking everyone's consuming that 30 second commercial that just wasn't happening. And why 180 is a very valid debate is two and one and three seconds at a time. You do that math, it's still just a tiny piece of someone's you know, entire month or three months. So you know, I, you know, I understand where you're coming from on like, don't quote me on that. I have a funny feeling, you know how I like to clip the videos from 12 years ago and make a new video of it. I have a funny feeling. Uh -oh. There'll be more clipping on this moment. Uh, we're, we have a tight schedule here, Tracy, and I, I can listen to you speak all day. I'm gonna let Wanda come in here real quick and, and see if there's anything she wanted to double click on from, from the report or anything that she just wanted to say. Wanda? Hey, Tracy Ann. Well, first of all, I wanted to thank you for showing me your walk as the parent of, you know, a 2020 graduate, you know, whose graduation was hopefully postponed, but, you know, very likely um, to still be canceled. Um, you're right about lighting the octagon, you know, and like as, as a parent, I felt it and it really spoke to me and, you know, my teams were proud to work on it, but I was really proud to be on the receiving end of it and I thought it was so impacting. I think my last question would be, you know, any kind of, you know, advice that you would give brands for how to help preserve the optimism that we see in Gen Z you know, given the financial realities and landscape that they're, they're walking into? I mean, as a mom myself, I think um, we bear a responsibility to have a continuity of conversation. I think that's the really, that's the most important thing, right, is to continue to talk about these things over and over. Um, from, from my professional standpoint, I would tell you that, um, we're looking at it from a conversational standpoint as well. We have, we have this thing we call chase chats that we're really, really proud of. And it's anchored in the idea that we can provide safe spaces to have those tough conversations around what is it, such a personal topic. And in this moment when you have the, the synchronization of a very personal topic and a very challenging time um, and so many other things that are making us anxious, um, we have a responsibility to find new and interesting ways to take all of our knowledge and intelligence and tools and um, ways to empower people to 
um, be more thoughtful and careful about their financial well-being in this moment. And I think for me, the word is conversation and trying to emulate conversation in the media space, right? So as to maintain this idea yep. that we can meet people where they are. Love it. Well, thank Tracy, you. thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. See you right. soon. Let's move on. Thank you. Um, so we'll move into our next guest. Um, our next guest is Heron Preston, um, an established st streetwear designer, a youth culture shaper, an artist, a content creator, an author, a DJ, and so much more. Um, he has collaborated with the likes of Kanye West and Virgil Abloh. Um, and has his namesake label debuted um, in Paris um, Fashion Week, I believe it was in 2019. Um, has a great passion for innovation and creativity, which obviously speaks you know, to the values of Gen Z and driving sustainability through innovation. So um, welcome, Preston, it's great to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is really exciting to be a part of this. Karen, it's, uh, I've been, I've been, I was always curious over the last several years, what would be the serendipity of, you know, there's so many people I admire and have love for. And sometimes I have the opportunity to occasionally DM and just so, show love. And other times I, I can't wait to like stumble on that person at some event and just roll up and, and dap it out. So I didn't see COVID and on a Zoom stream, but oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's really exciting for me to chop up as well. And I hope you and well. I remember stumbling on your YouTubes a while ago. And so now we're here. No, it's really, it's really cool to be in touch with you as well. I appreciate it. So listen, that intro speaks truth. And this is why I so resonate with so many that are coming up the game. Because for me, you know, for example, earlier mentions, my parents were always my heroes. And since I was, you know, Gen X and, and went through millennial, everybody made fun of me. And now, now that seems to be emerging with Gen Z. And then I was always very Renaissance, you know, just super chaotic and didn't believe in like, you know, focus on one thing. Believed in focusing on one thing when I thought I had, you know, blood in the water and I'd go hard at it, but then widening because I needed that creative approach. You, you, you're so creative. You have so much going on with innovation and experimentation. You know, actually first, let's start with your Twitter handle because I have a funny feeling a ton of people are gonna wanna follow you. Speaking of everybody on Twitter, I'm watching all of you. Some of you are being very smart. You see that I'm retweeting like a storm and a bunch of you are getting a ton of followers. So big daps to the hackers out there, but give your Twitter handle and please answer that experimental innovation uh, question. Um, yeah, so my Twitter is, it's just my name, Heron Preston. Um, it's not as active as my Instagrams are, so follow no me. We're not, gonna, we're, not, we're not gonna shame you. <laughs> and then I have a personal Instagram, it's just Heron, at Heron, my first name. Love it. Um, so yeah, follow those three accounts and that's where you can just find everything about me. Um, and so to answer the question, you know, my approach to experimentation, uh, creativity, you know, I, I kind of, you know, think about this moment when I was, you know, playing with a design and I showed a friend and we were just getting into this idea of like giving people what they're not, what they were never supposed to have. And I think that was when I realized that is what I was up to and that's what I really was really passionate about and that's what brought me joy and there was this kind of playfulness that went along with this process this framework of dreaming up what were we never supposed to have and then designing into that but also i really love you know quotes like i listen to miles davis i love jazz music and one of my favorite miles davis quotes is you know play what's not being played play what's not there you know i think that is always kind of how i love to approach my design process is introducing new this is this is again a kind of 
tying into introducing new stories. And I love to tell new stories and introduce, you know, kind of con continuous like newness into the storytelling of the fabric of our culture. Um, but then also looking at like new technologies and how they drive. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you because you're flowing, but you just, you inspired me to ask a very exciting question for me that I think will help the majority of people watching. What do you think's in you? What circumstance le lends itself to the lack of fear that what you just said requires? You know, I think, you know, it might, it might come from me being a skater, my background, <laughs> you know, just like Seriously, growing though. up and just like, you know, having this attitude, you know, this kind of like punk attitude, this kind of like against corporations and, you know, against rules, you know, breaking rules and rewriting rules and writing new rules to follow. And I think that's kind of where it comes from. It just might just come from like my youth and just like listening to like music and, and just wanting to be a part of kind of writing, you know, writing history instead of, you know, participating so much in it. Like, how can I make my mark at, at what I think is really interesting to me and what I want people to really see or experience that really isn't there yet. You know, it's kind of taking these dreams or these ideas, you know, out of my head and presenting it in packaged ways that, are kind of culturally relevant and relatable and, you know, revolutionary. I love that. What's your hot take on Gen Z? Like if, if you know, if somebody, if a company rolled up on you that you were JVing on or doing something big or even how you think about selling your stuff, like what's your, what's, what's your observation? What, you know, drop some knowledge on that. Um, you know, my observation is, is that and I, I get a lot of feedback. I think feedback is one of the best things, especially with social media, when I put something out there and I get the feedback. So I, one, one of the posts I recently posted was about a t-shirt that I edited. It was a Supreme t-shirt. And that Supreme t-shirt said, fuck the world, excuse my French. And I went- you, you, you have found the right place to drop the fuck word. <laughs> so go ahead. So the t-shirt said, fuck the world. And this, and I edited the t-shirt maybe like two months ago when we were just hitting like, you know, this pandemic. And I was like, man, I want to edit that to say unfuck the world. And so I basically embroidered a UN in front of, in front of fuck. And I, I Instagrammed a photo of that t-shirt. And I basically said, um, you know, whoever, you know, can tell me what you're doing to unfuck the world, I'll gift you this t-shirt. This post performed the best out of any post I'd ever posted. I got like 4,000 comments and actually there's still, there's kids are still commenting. Every time I post that picture of that t-shirt, kids will go back to that post and they'll, and they'll add to it. And within those 4,000 comments of people telling me what they do to unfuck the world, there was, you know, topics around, you know, um, mental health and the environment, uh, supporting their communities, um, you know, social issues. It was just a really kind of broad and, you know, wide array of issues and, and topics that young people really care about. And so I, I basically took away from that is that, you know, they want to be a part of the change. You know, they want to be a part of designing a new world um, that doesn't currently exist. And I think that was kind of one of the one of the one of the biggest takeaways. I think just kind of this kind of like participation in community and culture, um, this kind of like community driven kind of like rally. You know, we look at like cancel culture or you know this challenge culture. Everyone wants uh, what, to. What, what, you know what? I'm completely like ad hoc. Here. Like I'm I'm like starting the process of really thinking through cancel culture because I have enormous 
concerned that it's gonna have the opposite effect of what people are trying to do when they're trying to bring good to the world. Do you have any thoughts on cancel culture from your perspective? It's scary. It's really scary. And especially- and by the way, can, you, can, you, can you define it in your words to, you know, to everybody who's watching? Because I think a lot of people may not be following along because we have a wide, talk about diversity, we have a wide range of you know, individuals in the 5,000 people that are watching. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, especially someone like me that's a public figure, it's, it's, it's kind of scary to kind of put yourself out there in these moments when a message could be twisted, your words could be twisted and people can rally together. And I think without even thinking, they're kind of coming together to just, you know, ruin your name, you know, ruin your career, um, you know, attach, attaching negative energy, you know, to, to your process or who you are, your life. And it's really scary. You know, how can you cancel? Like that was never a concept until like social media came around. How can you cancel someone? But it's, it's, it's so, it's so the, the, the question is, the question is, does that individual get canceled? Cause they get canceled for 48 hours on Twitter and then yeah. do they really, does it lead to that individual? And you, you know, we're not gonna even go there, but you and I saw some people who really didn't deserve to get canceled in the last right. week or two get canceled. But I think what you just mentioned, it lasts just for like 24, 48 hours. There's just so much else that's happening that I think people all of a sudden might forget about it. And in turn, it might, you know, they always say like bad press is, is always good press. You know what I mean? I feel like eventually people kind of, lighten the load of what they're kind of, you know, people kind of like, it almost becomes like a joke, you know, it almost becomes like, I can't believe we experienced that. Now it becomes a joke. And now you're like friends again. You know what I mean? It, it's it, it is like with your best friends that you do Raz and have four or five bad days and then you're back and you're better than ever. Yeah. All of a sudden, all these people that we are, you know, quote unquote, have been canceled. Now, people, you know, I see people being loved again, you know, like people, I think it's also for someone like in my my position is to just remember the people who really know who you are. You know, that, I think that helps a lot of people get through this. It's just, you know, remember your true friends, remember the, the, the group that you really have around you. Like they know who people I am. People that actually know you. Exactly, people that actually know you. Because I, wanna, there's I apologize for interrupting, but I wanna get into this before we let you bounce. Creators, you yeah. know, just, just, it is so deep in your DNA. And I do believe it will be the conversation of the next 20, 30 years, you know, in advertising land, as Wanda knows from the strategy side and Rob on the creative side, you know, I am pushing for a making culture. Let's not have 45 meetings about putting the UN in front of unfuck the world, fucking make it. And then let's see what happens. And the reason that worked for you was you've done a lot of things where you've just made, and it didn't fucking matter to anybody. And then you had this one that did and you build and you get reps and you build and you get reps. Oh, and that's how you get good at it. What do you think about the creator culture? Like, do you default into anybody in Gen Z kind of weirdly thinks of themselves as like, I'm gonna make some shit one way or another? Do what? Do you believe that, the, that Gen Z as a whole, whether it's coding, whether it's drawing, whether it's you know, making memes. Do you think the default for Gen Z is I'm a maker, I'm a creator, which is very different than the prior generations? Or do you think just a bigger percentage of them do? Or, and, and what are you just observing from this creator making culture? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I think there's no kind of, I think DIY is taking on a whole new meaning. I think DIY is like the new streetwear. When streetwear has now gone to such high levels, the runways of Paris, like where does it kind of leave like these younger 
kind of like, I don't know, bedroom design. Right, it becomes, that becomes the establishment all of a sudden what you grew up with, with what I grew up, now it's the establishment, all of a sudden something new is gonna form. Exactly, and I think that newness is now the kid who's in his bedroom, who's, who is kind of taking all of this, he's re, it's remixed, this kind of remixed culture as well. DJ, DJ. Yeah, it's like remixing, taking a bit of this, taking a little bit of that, and making new versions of it. I think this handmade kind of aesthetic is kind of coming out of that as well, where you see a lot of like marks from scissors being, marks from scissors or like hand-drawn graphics or, you know, exposed, you know, seams. You know, I think there's a lot of kind of like handmade and DIY culture going into this creativity, but also kind of the freedom to kind of explore. I think it's kind of like, you know, going to a museum or going to an arcade, you know, like you wanna play all those games or you wanna go see at all the exhibits. And then maybe if you go revisit, you might go to your favorite exhibit. You, you know, you might go and play that favorite video game that you discovered on the first visit to the arcade. You know, you go straight to like Street Fighter versus the racing game because you realize that you just love Street Fighter so much. So I think, you know, within this space, it's, it's about experimenting, but then getting those ideas out of your head and making them, sharing them, and then going, you know, to that next step. But, you know, I think this DIY culture and kind of, you know, not wanting to identify or put yourself into a box. You know, I want to try producing music and now I want to, you know, I want to fucking sing and I want to, you know, DJ and I want to go start my own t-shirt line and I want to put my clothes on the runways of Paris as well. And, and you it's know, all, it's, all, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's yes culture. It's the yes. answer is yes to everything. The answer is yes to everything. Let me see how it goes. I, I, by the way, I resonate with that so deep. I think it's, it's, it's embedded deeply in entrepreneurship and opportunity. I think the internet's done that. I, I mean, I could do this for two hours. Wanda, please jump in and, and add some incredible grace and knowledge to this because I'm about to get hyped and just start yelling and shit. But I think it's also, play, it's also this idea of playfulness and having fun with your friends. And, and I think there's this, there's this kind of satisfying kind of element that comes out of that where you're just, it's just a vibe, right? It's an energy and it's, it's kind of within this box of just like culture, right? This is kind of driving the conversations. Within that, you know, art, music, fashion, parties, nightlife, content, music, like all of that kind of becomes the total package. And I think every kind of young person is now embracing all of those different kind of lanes. It's not just one lane anymore. I love that. Wanda? Yeah, there, there's so much about, you know, who you are, Heron, that I think really speaks to, you know, the attributes that we see in Gen Z, you know, your ability to wear many hats, your ability to reinvent and take something that's original and recreate it. You know, those are all of the things that we say, see Gen Z wanting to do. So it's great. And I think it's so inspiring for those Gen Zers that are tuning into us. The one question I wanted to ask before, um, before you go is around, you know, a lot of your efforts around sustainability and climate change, you know, which is a real big passion for Gen Z. And one of the things that we found in this, in the study is that despite COVID, despite, you know, Black Lives Matters and everything that's going on, it's not like they've set aside this passion. They've just embraced it even, even more. So it's not going away, you know, and, and there's a lot of brands that kind of jump off of, you know, the hot topic and move on to the next thing, you know, so just um, your plans around sustainability and how you're using your brand to support and inspire this generation If you can just, you know, leave us with some inspiring words there. Yeah, I mean, it's, for me, it's, it's about, I think, again, experimenting and trying out new technologies that exist at my fingertips, not ignoring the information that's in my face, 
I feel almost guilty ignoring, you know, all of what's happening in the world. I feel responsibility to be a part of these solutions. And so, you know, two examples, you know, one looking at, you know, my fixtures in my retail stores, beyond just the clothes, a lot of conversations around the materials and the source of materials, but, you know, I, I make hangers, I make racks, I have all this other materials in my stores. Like, so I made this infinity hanger with a, with a company out of London called Pentatonic, where we invented a new material made out of factory floor waste that we compressed over high pressure. And that became our infinity hanger, which is a circular kind of concept where this, this materials will never fall out of place. So if a hanger gets damaged or something, we can just remake that into a new hanger. And then also looking at you know, plastic and, and packaging you know, like Amazon just went crazy because of the pandemic. So imagine how much packages are being shipped around the world with plastic. And looking at fashion, I worked with Hewlett Packard HP Inc. to um, experiment with an alternative to plastic, which is made from like wood pulp cellulose. And looking at a pilot program to introduce and replace all of the packaging that I use for, for shipping my fashion, like the poly bags around the world. So it's kind of like these step-by-step, -step, kind of almost these baby steps. I'm always, always trying to identify a win every season and nail it, share it. I got that in my bag. All right, now what's the next technology or who's the next company supplier um, that I can work with? Um, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, so it's kind of always been, and so how- And by the way, and by the way, you're bringing them more than they're bringing you, which is amazing, right? I yeah. mean, that's a one plus one equals 11. When you drop that HP, I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, two people are winning. To me, literally the most interesting thing in business is one plus one equals 11. You know, there's I, relationships. I know you guys have to go, and I think that's the no, one. No, go ahead. It's bridging these different worlds together. It's like, it's like waste management and fashion. That was my department of sanitation collaboration. Like that was unheard of, a waste management agency and a fashion designer coming together. And I think what's special about that is the two worlds coming together. So when you see a lot of really amazing things that are happening in sustainability and technology, they're only speaking to themselves. Like, so it's gonna take someone like me to come in, kind of remix it and package it for my community to show them that this is the shit that's happening in the world that's really Context. cool, that's really sustainable, but like no one's talking to you to them about it. At least in the messages or through the voice that they want to hear it, that they want to receive it. So I felt like I was that cool guy to take all of this stuff that's happening, that's helping to save the world, package it in a cool t-shirt and an experience and some content and a story. And then, and then I think that's when young, you know, the Gen Z is ready to receive the messages. So I'm really interested in kind of bridging different worlds together. I love it, my man. I, I, we'll have more, we'll, we'll have some more chop sessions in the future. Yeah, because what you're talking- too short for all the good juiciness that's going Way on. too short, we'll do it again. Thank you so much for being on, well, Wanda. Thank you, guys. thank you so much. Thank you, Heron. Um, so next up, we have Paul Lays. Um, he's the CEO and co-founder of 368, along with Casey Nysat. Um, their company um, sits at the intersection of gaming and creating. 368 brings professional gamers, internet creators, and cultural icons together to create new stories and opportunities. Company was founded in April 2019 and is a collaborative physical space um, where creators can come together and um, access resources and the things that they need to make magic happen. So welcome, Paul. It's great having Thank you. you. Thank you. Paul. I mean, Gary, Gary, you can just keep going with Heron, by the way. I mean, Paul, I feel like I just interrupted magic. 
Paul, I don't know what's going on with COVID, but you're dramatically handsomer than ever. I think the long hair, like I'm really like wildly attracted to you. So that's like, you know, something I should probably be transparent about. You look great, bro. The longer hair, the facial hair. Dude, you were, you, I'm you know, telling just, you, man, this is your look, bro. This is your look. You look like a movie I, tw- star. I tweeted yesterday. I thought we were getting married today. So <laughs> I, I saw it was that. Time. I saw that. Um, real quick, let's give out your Twitter handle so that people can comment on your looks, but more importantly, along with your thoughts and observations. What is it? And let's get right into it. Yeah, uh, Twitter handle is PWLEYS, P-W-L-E-Y-S, and that's my Instagram as well. Awesome. Paul, why did you and Casey start 368? And what is 368 in your words so everybody can wrap their head around it? Yeah, you know, we started 368 because we just thought there was a different way for uh, brands to work with creators. We thought there was um, an opportunity to help uh, be an accelerator for creators without being exploitive or signing them into long-term contracts or anything like that. And I really just started with community building um, and connecting creators to each other and just sort of getting out of the way in most instances. And um, when we had opportunities with brands, just as producers, you know, we brought those opportunities to creators, which is what we continue to do. I love that. And so what a, what was the what was the most interesting thing about COVID? Knowing that you're so fluid, so creative. Um, before we go into Gen Z and the gaming culture, which I think you understand so well, and just in general, the creator culture. Just to jump into something I haven't touched on as much as I wanted to. So, since it's one thirty-seven p.m. right now, yeah, fire site. I'll I'll go right into that. What uh, what? How did you how did you go into COVID, and what if any adjustments did you make? What observations came out of it? What uh, what's your biggest takeaway? Um, you know, for us, I think it, we've always seen sort of like that difference between the, in the world of influencers and just like marketing communities is what created this like word influencers and, you know, creators, um, are kind of have their own place inside of influencers and they're sort of, they're the ones that can produce content and do things on their own. They have a point of view, they have a story to share. It's much more about that creative um, expression than it is, um, you know, popularity and like earning that media value of, a, of an audience. And so, you know, I've just seen that people, I think, are inherently starting to recognize that. And it's like creators are the ones that can make content right now. You know, they have production hasn't stopped in their world, so they just keep going. Um, the smart ones are doubling down and they're, they're hitting even harder. And so I think that that's just, you know, that's becoming like more and more clear to sort of this business and marketing world that, oh yeah, so creators fit inside influencers, but they're not just influencers. Um, they're, they're little production houses, they're little media companies, they're entrepreneurs. Um, they're much more than just an Instagram photo. Oh, 100%. What's, what's you know, you've interacted so much with, um, with, uh, you know, Gen Z through this chapter of your career. What is, what is your biggest observation of them? Um, observationally, I mean, I think like, you just like listen to Gen Z and where they're going. It's like um, streamers right now have um, kind of hit, you know, popular psyche. And, you know, they're special in the creative world because You know, they don't even, they they don't just make their audience part of a community. They, the audience is interacting with them. Um, And I think Gen Z is sort of 
is showing us that, you know, the future of content um, can evolve even further. And um, interacting with sort of the creator, interacting with the content, you know, and live experiences is just sort of an expectation. They don't know any different. Um, and also just like the way that they are, you know, a Gen Z audience is tunes into a creator channel. They don't, they don't really decipher the difference between um, the, you know, the Food Network or FX and the Vlog Squad. It's just like, you know, the Vlog Squad is curating the content I want to see. So just like FX is a big media company curating the channel. Um, so they, it, they don't see the difference there. And um, I think and that they is- And they don't need to, right? They don't, they need, don't to. need to. At the end of right. the day, their, their itch is getting scratched. Right. Paul, so, the, uh, your boom box in the background is completely going viral on, uh, on Twitter. Paul's boom box is like literally trying uh, number one globally now. So what, what's that all about real quick? So I can just stop the Twitter. Like it's taken over the Twitter feed. So I, I need yeah. to see other insights. Can you just address that so I can move on please with my life? Yeah, yeah there's a, there used to be, there's a New York artist. Um, his name is Lyle. He had, he launched the Boombox project. Yep. Must've been eight years ago or so. Um, there's a book, there's, um, and there's boomboxes that you can buy. That's one of those. I love it. Um, what, what about social distribution? What have you noticed through the content and the creators and the streamers outside of their lane when, they, you know, when they're living on Twitch, when they're, when they're producing a YouTube video? What are you seeing from acceleration from a TikTok or a Twitter or an Instagram? The, the infrastructure of social channels and how it's amplifying that creative. Has there been any observations or anything that's caught your mind recently or historically? Um, I think one of the things I've I'm, I'm learned more and more with uh, uh, live production is you know, building, building an audience inside of, or on, on Twitch or any sort of live platform. You know, it's, it's everything that you do that's not live is what's driving your live audience. So the most important thing you can do is, is figure out how are you extending that content? Um, how are you making it uh, relevant outside of the live stream? And, sort of, and, and, that's, and that's the focus for, okay, how do I get that big giant Twitch audience that people are chasing right now? Just highly valued. Um, and then also the, the value in a community. And it's, you know, we, we saw in, you know, years ago with the Vine houses and now there's TikTok houses. Um, the Vlog Squad is an example of that. The, the YBN guys, mm -hmm. they're in gaming hip hop. They're, they're an example of that. Um, and it's sort of having a relationship with people that share your point of view um, that drive a bigger audience because um, they're just driving to each other. And what a lot of the gaming, what as like teams from like have transferred from being sort of these esports organizations into being like content production houses, you know, what they, what's been really smart is they've sort of organized that idea of community. Cause like now everybody from hundred thieves, you know, they wear that badge, they wear that hundred thieves badge. So it's a and, real brand. And, and that ecosystem drives, you know, audience to each one of them as individuals. Agreed. Wanda, thoughts for our main man? 
Um, Paul, uh, a quick question in terms of one of the questions that we asked Gen Z was um, if they could only live with one social platform, what platform it would be? And um, the majority of Gen Z actually said YouTube. Um, because it serves as, you know, their biggest search engine, provides entertainment, and it's a place of learning. Um, does that surprise you at all? And do you think that that's going to change, you know, as new platforms kind of come in? Not, not at all. Um, YouTube is everything. You know, it's like, even if I'm sure like we're all sort of at home taking on new projects. You're like, how do I fix that thing in the refrigerator? It's like, you just go to YouTube. Um, so it's just the, the resource, not only for finding, you know, useful information, it's where you go to learn about something. If you want to you know, learn to be a filmmaker and skip film school, just go to Adobe's Creative Cloud channel. It's all there. You, you learn everything. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's literally, literally, YouTube is how I learned my whole life. Right. You know, it's like, you, you know. Uh, as a marketing person, you know, if you're not sure, like, what's the, what's the right perspective on it? Just look it up on YouTube. You'll find like 75 videos about it. Um, and, you know, Gary will be one of those. And that's the plan. <laughs> listening, listening to people is where you learn everything. So I agree. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being on and, and keep doing the work you're doing and keep growing that hair, bro. I, I'm, I'm big on that. Okay, great. You got it. Thanks, guys. The hair looks great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so moving on to our next guest, um, one of our favorite people at VaynerMedia, John Sass. He is the VP of Advertising on Scott's miracle Grow, and, um, and we appreciate his passion as a marketer and his exceptional ability to analyze trends, identify opportunities, and experiment early to kind of help drive results. Um, welcome, John, it's great having you. Hey guys, it's great to be here, thank you so much. All right, Sass, everyone was just like, wait a minute, what is Scott's miracle Grow doing here? So let's <laughs> just get right, right, go ahead. The, the, the lawn and garden, the grass seed company, um, what are they doing, right? And so let's go right to it, which is we're always trying to bring different value. We have an enormous amount of Fortune 5000 companies that can't make the connection to why they would be on something like TikTok that's emerging like crazy, that's obviously dominated Gen Z, but is now really starting to penetrate millennials at a scary rate and even getting into Gen X at a scary rate. You know, help the marketers or the lawyers or the accountants or the guy or gal selling concrete, third generation family. What, what, how did you think about that jumping into, and then, and then more importantly, set it up, tell everybody the challenge and, and how well it did so they can understand the results and then, and then take me back to you know, what the thinking was there. Yeah, well, I, I think, happy to talk about TikTok. I think like what we did was actually easy compared to what you did a couple of weeks ago, Gary, of being on there for 12 straight hours, but conversation for another time, much yes. uh, kudos to you for, for doing you. that. But, you know, I think for us at Scott's, I, Scott's miracle grows. So for, for the audience out there, we are the lawn and garden category leaders. So we are, you know, when you look out that back window, when you look out the front door window and you see everything from the grass, the green, the mulch, the flowers, the beauty that is surrounds us in our homes and just the beauty of outside, that's really where our brands operate and sort of where, where we play. That's our space. And, you know, for, for many years, we have just been so associated with superior products, with having like 
really good products and advertising of that more of the traditional type, right? The, the 30 second commercials, product performance, that type of uh, messaging. And, and we recognize that over the years, the lawn has an outside has become so much more, right? We, it's not just about having that perfectly manicured dark green lawn with the nice mowed lines in it. We love a yard and we love a space outside that people use. And I know we'll get to COVID um, and what the lawn has meant in the last couple months to people, but we want people that actually spend time outside and get their feet in the grass and feel the toe, you know, their toes in the, in the blades of grass. And so as we start to kind of evolve where and how our brands show up, we want to be in places where, that encourage people to, to kind of go have fun, go play in the yard, be a kid all day long until the night comes. And that's what we wanted to do. So when you start to look at like where audiences skew younger, where people are engaging and showing, showcasing themselves playing outside, you know, TikTok was sort of like a, a tremendously new platform for us that we've never even really considered until this year. And, you know, you, you then merge that with COVID and the world of like just being so cooped up inside and feeling like you can't get outside. We just wanted a place and an opportunity to tell people, go get outside in the yard. And, you know, our hashtag do the Scots was formed. And it was a little video with people doing sprinkler dances in the backyard. And just <laughs> one more time, put, one more time. Give yeah, me that. Exactly. Like the sprinkler there dance, you, go. you know, um, and, Lawn and mower. People, yeah, the pull the mower start um, and just spending time outside, you know, and we're seeing kids that are pulling mom and dad, brother, sisters, having fun in the lawn. And honestly, when it comes right down to it, that's what we want our brands to be about. Just having fun and enjoying that time together outside. TikTok has blown up for us. I mean, we like 2.2 billion views, I think, of what we've, we did in an, over that's a course insane. of the better part of a, you know, a two week window. Uh, right around the start of the year. And so um, it's, it's been fantastic for us. Do you believe, like Wanda mentioned, the parenting of the parenting, do you believe when you see that kind of campaign, is it in your, I mean, it's early for this thought about Gen Z, but do you have the hunch that winning with this group can influence the parent to go to Home Depot or Lowe's and pick up a bag of mulch I, or Scott's Miracle Grow? I tell you what, Gary, I, first off, Wanda, all four of the key kind of takeaways that you guys had are, spot on from my perspective, not as a marketer, but also as a dad of two Gen Zers myself. Uh, my kids are 12 and nine. I mean, our backyard has become our space, right? And, and then you take what has happened in the last three months of COVID, what the parenting of the parents. So think about like what your backyard, I alluded to it just a second ago, the backyard has become the conference room, the classroom, the dinner room, the outside movie theater, the soccer field, the dinner table, it has become everything. And I just know that not only as a, as a dad, as a neighbor, as people who work with, but even who, what we see and what we are hearing online, the backyard is driven by um, in a COVID type of world of making the space a usable space. And now more than ever, parenting of the parents is such a true sort of like uh, aspect of what we're seeing, right? We got to entertain kids. We got to keep them engaged in the backyard in that regard in our space and growing your own vegetables. We haven't even gotten to the other side of it. I mean, the grass is one part of it in the space, but now growing your own food and having that sort of educational opportunity as well has been fantastic. And I couldn't agree more with what you guys saw in, in your survey and your research. Wanda, throwing you in here a little bit earlier just to mix it up. Thoughts, questions for Mr. Sassy? Um, yeah, I, I think one of the things that um, I wanted to to kind of share and see, you know, if it's something that you think you guys um, can leverage SAS is 
um, you know, Gen C influence, not only influencing the parent, um, parents on new habits and adopting new platforms like TikTok, but um, our study also showed that the relationship during COVID has actually strengthened among parents and their children, which was actually surprising to some extent, because you would think if living under one roof, you know, quarantined and not being able to get out, but it's actually gotten stronger. And we've been seeing parents and children doing a lot more activities like cooking and baking. And to your point, you know, gardening together and getting outside together. Um, is this something that you think you'll continue to leverage? You know, is it something that you've also seen, like from your point of view? And do you think you'll continue targeting parents um, through Gen Z? Uh, it, it, it really starts um, to dive into your other learning, which is sort of the dreaming with eyes open, right? It, from what you're seeing in a world with, um, especially in COVID, right? The stress, the anxiety of the uncertainty of a lot of different things, whether it's the, the job, it's it's going to the grocery store. I mean, remember there were a couple of weeks there where people were super apprehensive and not knowing what is coming next. And we have seen gardening fill a void uh, unlike anything else um, that could have ever sort of happened for the category. And the, the projects have evolved and Victory Garden has stemmed from that. But what has what has come from a little bit of that energy of um, having a food source and getting outside, we've seen gardening become projects for families and Gen Z and parents together that have been an, an exceptional sort of like takeaway for us. The, we've, we've created a, a bunch of little um, outside projects, uh, outside adventures, what we call it on Pinterest, a whole program of little bite-sized 15, 20 minute projects to get kids and parents out in the backyard, whether that's, you know, creating a, a little uh, pollinator garden, maybe that is um, growing a, a tomato and some carrots, maybe that is having um, a little homemade tent that you can kind of hang out and out in the backyard and, and then watch movies, making some stepping stones and having some craft projects. But we have seen that gardening in and of itself has been such a great sort of lift and to your point about continuing it, not only will we continue it, but in a world where people are dealing with a lot of anxiety and mental health starts to come into play, the impact of being around nature and live goods and just things that are growing and healthy does tremendous. It is, you know, nature's natural stress reliever, just being around a garden and planting and live goods. It does the wonders for the psyche, for mental health. Um, it is a huge opportunity that I think like we will continue to embrace um, in, a, in a significant way. Victory Gardens, I, I know that was a, a, a pretty important thing for your company. Want to want to share that more importantly, you know, because I want to bring as much value for everybody who's given us our, their time. What did you learn from that, and how do other big companies or mid-sized companies learn from that execution? Yeah, you know, I think. Um, you know, Tracy Ann had mentioned this earlier, listening uh, to our, our Chase, uh, you know, uh, person you had on here. I think the one thing that she said, and I completely agree is, man, we were listening, right? It, as marketers, you got to listen to what is happening and what is being sort of typed and written and posted and, and shared. And what we saw very organically early on was because of COVID, because of the uncertainty, because of grocery, like, we saw this kind of rallying cry that was very harkened back to the World War II after kind of like the country was in a pandemic kind of mode where people just got a sense of like taking a little bit of self-control and also controlling what they can control, which was 
I can plant my own garden. I can have some food source in my backyard. And we started to see Victory Garden sort of as a hashtag popping up um, in a variety of places. And, and frankly, we, we just leaned in in a major way. And so we embraced it wholeheartedly. Um, and gardening and sort of edible gardening specifically um, has taken off. And I think, again, just in a, in a world where there's a lot of uncertainty of a lot of things happening, there's a couple things that just are very calming that you can control and that's maybe right in your own backyard. And so from a miracle grow perspective on our other major brand, we saw people gardening like never before, um, you know, at, at significant levels that it, you know, it took a, a big shift of maybe mindset change. But frankly, like when you just come down to the basics of life, right, you know, just kind of growing your own food in your own backyard, nothing's fresher than picking some tomatoes and lettuce right out of your own garden. And I think that's a fantastic place to be and one that I think for our brands is just, it's been a, it's been a real blessing here and silver lining, I guess. Two things. One, is that a beautiful snake plant behind you? <laughs> it is. You check that out. I got to keep it going a little bit better though. Yeah. I so said, what just happened? Yeah, exactly. You moved your shoulder and we saw the dead piece kind of like <laughs> this part. Was, uh, keep this side. Yeah, there we go. Uh, number two, you're nine and 12 year old. What are, you know, obviously one of the great things at this time is an interesting point on Wanda. I think some families got closer together. I think some families are breaking up in, in, in permanent nature. Um, knowing that you've had the luxury of having more time with them because I, I know you're busy and you're traveling things of that nature. What has been the most surprising behavior you observed from them in their consumption of media or engagement with content or marketing, things of that nature? What, you know, obviously you know them, obviously you're there, but like now that you're double clicking and you're really a little bit deeper, what, what kind of caught you off guard, if anything? Yeah, um, I, I think the, you know, and, I, and you guys were alluding it in some of your research as well. I, like, so my 12 year old son is probably watching YouTube right now, um, by the way, Wanda. So like YouTube in this house is absolutely the, 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 the mainstay. But um, I think there's been a little bit of the, um, you know, I, I forget where in your research you kind of alluded to it, but honing your own little craft. I think in a world where it's easy to kind of pop to this, to that, to the other, kind of how maybe we were pre-COVID. I think in a post-COVID world here where things have slowed down a little bit and we've got a little bit more sense of like engagement in different areas, I think there are little wins that I see happening in very small things in and around our house. And I think that's, maybe it's playing basketball in the driveway. Maybe it's, you know, cooking and eating dinner together. Maybe it's um, creating a, a, a new little Minecraft world on some of our games. But I think I, I, think I see my kids um, as a dad being a little bit more um, excited about some of the things that they're doing and being okay with mom and dad. And we're kind of like, this is our family. We, the outside noise and all the other distractions in many ways have been isolated. And it's been nice to kind of get a little tighter and appreciate what we have right here around ourselves. I love that. Well, listen, it, it was a real pleasure having you here, Sass. I really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thank you so much for all your guys' help. Wanda? Thank you, Sass. Um, so uh, we are drawing to a close, but we have one very important and very special guest, um, Kathy Thornton um, Bias. She is the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Milwaukee. I think it's a beautiful segue, you know, talking about nurturing nature to truly nurturing um, our next generation 
um, in some of our most underserved communities. Um, welcome, Kathy. It is an honor to have you here. I am a huge um, fan of the Boys and Girls Club, having grown up on the Lower East Side. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the opportunity as well. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. I, I couldn't wait to, you know, sometimes, you know, not, and we had an unbelievable lineup, but there is a little bit of best for last. You're so deep in, because of your position in this culture. A, thank you. B, what, what have you observed um, over these last very interesting times in the last hundred days, COVID, BLM, like what, what, are, what are your observations as we sit here today, State of the Union, you know, fingers on the pulse. What are some thoughts on what Gen Z is feeling? What What are you seeing? Yeah. Um, first of all, I would say that uh, being in the COVID nineteen crisis and then plunging headfirst into the systemic racial uh, injustice in our country has been the one two punch, right? Like yeah. if it just if, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, <laughs> it, it it gets worse. And so what happens for kids who are growing up? in poor communities, marginalized communities, is that first, there's this notion, I'm so glad you asked this question, Gary, there's a notion that safer at home means safer. Right. Right, so that, that's presumption number one. And so for a lot of the kids that we work with, safer at home is in fact not safer. Um, one, millions of kids every day go to school and that's not just where they learn, it's where they eat. So when you talk about basic human needs of where do I find food? Where do I find shelter? Where do I find a loving adult who I can trust? For a lot of kids, that is school. And so when you take that away, you've essentially ripped the rug out from under their little feet. What we're seeing in our community, and of course many of you have heard about Milwaukee, I'm sure if you have not been here, um, Milwaukee has been rated the most segregated city in the, in the United States of America. Milwaukee is the city from which the, their very well-known book, Eviction, was based. So Milwaukee has this historical wave of issues regarding race. In my opinion, not much unlike the rest of the nation, but we are a concentrated city that is truly very segregated. And so that tinderbox was arguably ready, ready to blow regardless, right? Add on top of it COVID-19 a time where the, the people that are dying of the disease in our community are African-American men over the age of 55. Hands down. Yep. It, almost a death. The data, the data, yeah, the data has been very clear. So when you, when you add that into the mix of a child's life, what you take is an already sort of unstable, undependable foundation, and you just jam it with cracks and more cracks and more cracks. And so whatever footing there had been prior is now in many cases completely gone. We've seen a dramatic increase in domestic violence in our community since COVID-19, a dramatic increase in suicide rates, a dramatic increase in requests for psychiatric medical transport. And what that means to me is that people are having actual physical reaction beyond the illness itself, but physical reaction to this. And guess who it hits the most? Kids. The kids, of course, it all funnels down, right? And exactly. the mental anguish becomes physical and away we go. Exactly. And so it's not a question of, you know, can we garden or can we go outside into our backyard? We don't have a backyard. <laughs> we don't That's have right. a place to plant. 
we don't have access to Wi-Fi. You know, 25% of families that attend Milwaukee Public School System, which is a billion dollar company here, don't have access to Wi-Fi. So these opportunities to do a lot of the things that you all have been talking about just don't exist for our kids. They didn't go home with the laptop when their school shut down. They went home. Period. <laughs> right. And to, and to your point, they went home from the place that for many of them, unfortunately, is their escapism. Precisely. And whether that's school or groups like the Boys and Girls Clubs, you know, we, we are that safety net for the community. We, we are the groups that stand in the gaps and, and hold kids and hug kids and, and give them the things that they may not be able to, to receive at home. And so again, when you take those things away, these are creature comforts for our kids. This is, this is life and death for our kids. We had a, a man come in and murder the mother of his children and all of his children four blocks away from the Boys and Girls Club two weeks after we shut down. Devastating. Killed five people <laughs> at 10 o'clock in the morning. And we happened, we were open, of course, because we're serving doing food distribution like a lot of people are doing to help fill in those gaps. But now you see, you know, police helicopters circling the neighborhood sure. and blocks away from our most historic Boys and Girls Club. And I'm thinking, oh my God, maybe if we had been open. Yeah, of course. Maybe you know, if it's, it's I've, been I've, there. I've, I've had a lot of, you know, I'm always playing the game of like practicality and optimism. Yes. And a lot of people were struggling at first that I have, am friendly with or influence and had a lot of conversations and tried to remind people, you know, the reverse of that actually, which was, you know, if COVID started a month earlier, Kobe Bryant would be alive and maybe alive for another 50 years. And, you know, I always go into that. How many people's lives were saved by COVID because they were destined to get into a car accident on the highway right. in the middle of COVID. You know, I, you know, and obviously I'm sure that went through your mind, unfortunately in the reverse. Yeah. And in, in communities that are under-resourced and underserved, those statistical probabilities never roll in your favor. No, it goes I don't care how many times you roll the dice. That's it's right. not going to roll in like your snake favor. snake eyes. You got it. You got to, it. To, to pivot to a, uh, a far less serious topic, but one that I think would bring value to the people that are watching as well. Um, how did the organization pivot? Because I think, you know, a lot of businesses, small businesses here um, are physical. Obviously the Boys and Girls Club is super physical by nature mm -hmm. the structure come. Mm -hmm. what, what was A, how did you pivot? And B, what, were your, what was your initial thinking about what, pivot ideas did you have? And did the pivot work out better or worse than you thought it would when you dreamed it up in your head? Yeah. So one of, um, one of my uh, team members has a great saying, never waste a good crisis. Right. 12 years of the Red Cross. And not that we would ever wish something like this on a community, but it pushed us into digital in a way that honestly, Gary, we were not prepared to move that quickly had it not happened. We got good at digital really fast and we were mediocre at digital before. So we're the largest Boys and Girls Club agency in the entire country, believe it or not, here in Milwaukee. Right? Is that right? We, it is. We serve over 5,000 kids every day. Jeez. We um, have almost 1,100 staff in the summer because of our expanded hours. And so we thought about what are the basics that we have to cover first? Forget what is our day job, right? We've got a block and tackle. So food. We serve a million meals every year at the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Milwaukee alone. And we're not a food pantry. <laughs> right? We're not hunger task force. We're not feeding America, but we serve hot meals every single day at the clubs. And for a lot of kids, that's their dinner. 
So we went into triage mode on that issue. We've got to get food to our families. And so we started setting up food distribution centers at all of our sites, of course, using you know, good social distancing and practices. And we're up to, I think, 200,000 meals as of yesterday. Again, not our core business, wow. but you get really crafty really quickly, right? Yeah, for sure. That's a learning from this whole thing. How, how, do, how nimble are you? Right? How good are you? I agree. I, you know, I really, I, I, you know, I talked to a lot of leaders during this time and I was, and a lot of people went into dwelling mode and I reminded them, I'm like, nobody needs a peacetime general. Nope. You know, like that's just good timing. This is, you know, you've been talking big, you know, I had to do a little tough love for some of my friends. I was like, you've been talking big game about being an entrepreneur. You've, right. had a, you've had a decade of calm waters. It's time to show what you actually got. That's, That's right. right. How strong is your stomach? A hundred percent. That's right. And so beyond, you know, the food distribution, the other thing for kids who are in um, um, under supported school systems, under capitalized school systems, is they don't have all the tools both in the physical school and certainly not at home outside of the school. And so we went into triage mode on creating digital programming that of course was age appropriate for our kids who did have access to Wi-Fi to get into some good enriching programming. Our kids didn't go home with laptops and teachers ready to, to teach. You know, this, this is in Westchester County here, right? So our kids went home with their, whatever's with their backpack and that was it. And the school system was using um, Xerox copies of lesson plans mm. to, for kids to self-instruct. We were like, hold on now, wait a minute. <laughs> you think that Javon is gonna take home <laughs> this lesson pack and sit down and do, no. <laughs> 0.0. 0. 0. And so we went into, again, immediate going from being a mediocre agency at digital to being a really good agency at digital. And we've got probably 400 hours right now of constant programming that's up and has been up, mind you, five days after COVID. Kathy, what about the counterpoint? Because I've been spending a lot of time with, you know, uh, organizations that are trying to provide internet, you know, to your point, we talked about two issues already here, right? To Javon, using Javon as an example, I couldn't, you know, obviously you might have a little context of me, like the digital thing matters a whole lot, but what the, I mean, yeah, uh, I'll say it the only way that I can say it. There is no, there is no logic whatsoever that the greatest country in the world, the richest country in the world is not in a situation where people have accessible internet at home in every single corner. And so the packets, ironically, to your point, no shot, ironically and devastatingly for a lot of people that don't have internet or laptop or phone packet was the only way to go. Right. So it was a really interesting kind of mix. Cause I was yeah. seeing it on both fronts. Yeah. And Gary, to your point, how is it possible that we don't have access to free Wi-Fi in every community across this nation, whether it's an urban environment, whether it's a rural environment, whether we're talking about the tribal nations, how is that possible? It's, it's because we've not understood that the third industrial revolution needs to start. That, you know, I'm very thrilled to talk about roads and bridges. I am, we need them. But sure. if we're but. talking about Javon's next hundred years of his life, internet at scale, that mm -hmm. is, and you know, we have, we, have, we have companies that charge more for internet. You know, you have to, if you, like, if you don't want the cable, and you just want the internet, they charge you more because they want to suck in the cable prices. Like right. we, we live in a very fascinating world. And the reality is back to a very interesting point made earlier in this program about Gen Z's 
interesting relationship with corporate, which is it's got some cynicism, but it also believes that there's something there. You know, it's funny, when we were just talking, I'm like, when is Google gonna get done with these balloons, these satellites in space that just cover the US? Like I've always thought the biggest business to be built, which was also, you know, and I'm a very big fan of like, you can do entrepreneurship and you can do it in a good way. You can, you can, do, you can win twice. The biggest company in the world is the one that puts satellites into the universe, does free internet everywhere. And the only thing they get in return is when you sign on, they control the first screen, say welcome and whatever promotion or marketing they want to, and they'll build the biggest company in town. You know, that would be awfully nice. Gary V for president. Hey, listen, I promise you if I was born here, I'd be marketing like hell right now. <laughs> what about for you, Kathy? Final couple minutes and then I want to sneak in. Just real quick, biggest thing that you started using in a different way you know, technology-wise or consumption-wise. New podcasts, did you get into a little bit of Netflix binging at night just to escape a little bit? Are you using a new app? Anything hit your radar? Um, it, I think one of your panelists mentioned TikTok. Yes. So um, I, I'm a mom. I have three uh, African-American uh, young men who are 25, 28, and 30. <laughs> so the TikTok thing sort of missed me. But I, I'm also an aunt of a very precocious 13-year-old niece, Catherine. Yes. And she has had me do things. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if you follow Megan the Stallion on Instagram. Of course. It, uh, it is not for the underage It's group. ratchet. It's ratchet. Classy food. <laughs> I know so where I you're going. doing some things on TikTok, but I would Good not for want you. the world to see Good for what you. I have. You got to do it for little Catherine. Wanda, jump in. Uh, <laughs> that was great. Uh, my last question, um, Kathy, would be around, you know, we talked a lot about um, Gen Z's optimism. And one of the things that we saw in the survey is that Black Gen Z um, are 14% more likely to feel optimistic. You know, and, and I know we were talking about the realities of some of the, the kids that, you know, that the Boys and Girls Club serves. Um, just, just wondering, how can we help preserve their sense of optimism and resilience? you know, in light of everything that's going on. How do and, we Wanda, and Wanda, I apologize for interrupting with context because I know you were in survey and obviously the climate changed yeah. in, probably about with eight, like if I'm remembering with 10% left, the racial injustice probably popped up. So I imagine even if we came back at it right now, those numbers may have changed given the context. Um, I just wanted to ground the timing of when you saw that 14%. Yeah, the interesting thing about it, um, Gary, is that we actually were in field, you know, um, right in the middle of the protest. You. And, you know, some of the video selfies that we got back from some of our, um, the black kids that we interviewed, they were so powerful because the way that they phrased their optimism is that for them, the protests, as harsh as they were, were, were a signal that, you know, that people cared because people were showing up and that change was imminent, you know? So there's a real feeling for that. So um, it's just a question, because I think, you know, what you do, Kathy, is all about uplifting our kids, you know, and keeping them focused and helping direct them and giving them a better course. You know, um, how do we keep that resilience in them and how do we keep them, you know, optimistic? Um, you know, again, I would say, that the way they look at the world and the way they act in the world requires old people to get out of their way. Yeah, yeah. Get out of the way. Yeah. They don't wanna hear about what the 54 year old mama want. Like, sit down and let me show you how to do this. Now you can help us with your talent, <laughs> with your treasure, 
and your time, but your thoughts, keep it. Because you haven't done a good job thus far. Because if you did, we wouldn't be in the situation right now. Mm. You've had some 16, 19 to figure this out. Let us take the wheel. Yeah. And I hear that loud and clear. And I respect that. Because you know what? We it's have practical. a good job. It's practical. It's a fact. <laughs> it's yeah. a flat fact. So get out of the way, old people. Number two is... Kathy, can I interrupt? I, yes, I, I apologize because this fires me up. So I have this conversation a ton. Me too. <laughs> I, it, it, I have this conversation a ton and I'm literally recalling something I did in a little group Zoom the other day with some youngsters. And literally, then I looked at them and said, then fucking vote. You know, get out of the way, old people, right? Like get out of the way, old people, then, then fucking vote. Because the youth, my generation, your generation, this generation, they don't vote. Mm-hmm. And we have a whole generation of keyboard warriors who are great at tweeting their thoughts, but they act on it zero. And we're getting older. Look at the two candidates for president of the United States. They're a fucking thousand. Like this, this, we're getting older. Okay. And so like for every youngster that's listening right now, like don't give me some bullshit that your vote doesn't matter. I'll punch you in the fucking throat. Go fucking register and vote. Sorry, Kathy, go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> so maybe you can't be president, uh, Brother Gary. Uh, with F-bombs dropping, but you know, listen. By the I way, your, by the way, based on the way things are going, that would be minor right. fucking leagues if okay. I was Christian. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. I, look, I, I sense and hear your, I share your frustration. Yes, but, I, but want let, let me, I want it for them, I want it for them. Let me play the other side of this card. Please. They have not seen in the generations in which they've lived, because so for my kids, myself or for them, voting matter at all. They've seen, they've seen elections be hijacked in their faces. They, they've seen due process be unprocessed. They've also, they, I, I also faces. promise you, Kathy, with all the love in the world, because you're my fave, like your great grandparents would come down and punch your three boys in the face said that because they saw a black president yes. get, you know, yes. like, like there's also that. It, you know, it's but like- My great grandparents, yes. who I had the pleasure of growing up with most of my adult life uh, until I was in my late 20s, Amazing. They also had never seen a computer or a cell phone. For sure. Right? So For that sure. would make them, I would be like, Grandma, get on this. She's <laughs> like, baby, I'm not going to do it. That's it was scary. That's the devil's tool. <laughs> She's not going to do it. So like, let's put some yeah, perspective when we're calling on the ancestors, right? Yes. My but- point is voting isn't wrong, but it's not the only answer. These kids no, have power over brands. They will burn your brand to the ground. But you know what? I don't know if you heard, I don't know if you, like, I don't know if you you, I don't know if you heard it earlier, and this is back to the love I was giving those kids like go vote. They will burn your brand on the ground on Twitter for 48 hours. And then, cause I do this work. And then you come back six months later and the brand is not declined. You know, all the, all the brands that Trump bands are gonna cancel, all the brands that on the other side are gonna cancel, they're not, they're not canceling them. You know, I, I like if Chick-fil-A is not going out of business. Well, first of all, it's a damn good sandwich. So it's not, right. So, but you know, these these are real conversations. Listen, I'm I'm with you the most, but then you look at the, and this is the point right now. And this is why I'm excited because I want to help them with all my soul. We're we're in a great place to your point. They're thinking at a level that we have not seen before. Yes. We just- And they're they're engaging in discourse at at a high enough level to understand the facts and understand the stakes. And yes. I would say heretofore, those two things were not linked. I think so that's right. What you're, what you're saying, I think we're, we're coming to some mutual agreement 
yes. and that it's not in the absence of voting, but it's also in the presence of something additional. So we are leading an effort, number one, to open all of our clubs to be voter registration polls this November. We are uh, lobbying using all the resources of our great board members and all their influence to be like, okay, we've got six inner city clubs. We open them. I will pay my staff to be able to volunteer there and take a day off from work because we want brown people to vote. And we will take all of our fleet of vans and shuttle these kids who are around town to have their first time, quote unquote, with us. Vote. It's, right. So it's not an absolute. And, and, and by the way, you'll appreciate it. Extra piece. We, we have unbelievable aligned uh, views on this. To your point, I'm with you on that. If they want to cancel brands because they don't support them the right way, which is very powerful, I'm like, let's go, but just do it because people, you know, razz it and then 48 hours later buy it. Yeah, you know, there's there's a little bit of an endurance issue. There's a <laughs> I would huge, say, with this honestly, little, you, you little know, bit that, of an endurance issue. By the way, uh, we we run out of time, and I'm watching people who got meetings at two fifteen, at least Eastern, tweeting about this. But Kathy, I want to go. We're gonna get back channel and get connected. I want to do some stuff. I want next time I'm in the area, I would love to come and give a talk pro bono to the to the Boys and Girls Club in Milwaukee. I would Thank love to you. do that. And I'd love to get to know you better because I'm loving this conversation. So I really Likewise. appreciate you being here. Really. Likewise. God bless. Anna. Andrea, I love you, sister. That was so powerful. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Wanda, for just a remarkable, I want to continue this conversation the rest of today. The good news is we're going to continue it next week, though. So thank you, Wanda. Thank you, Gary. Uh, if anyone's interested in receiving the summary from the Gen Z survey that we just spent the last couple of hours talking about, please feel free to email us, marketingforthenow at VaynerX.com. We'll also be posting the recording from today's episode and all the rest of them on VaynerX.com, so check that out. Next week, we've got a, a really potent session just to continue all the leadership conversations and you know some of the real stuff. Uh, we'll be talking about leading courageously for the now. Um, we've got quite the lineup on Thursday, June 25th from 1230 to 2.30. Uh, it includes the CEO of Ben & Jerry's, Shark Tank's Damon John, Dr. Jennifer Eberhard, who's a Stanford professor, and she's an author um, and an authority on bias. And we've got a bunch of other brands and thought leaders and activists, and we're really hoping that you'll join us. So please come back, keep the conversation going on Twitter, hot hashtag marketing for the now, and we'll see you next week. Um, I'm gonna just thank you, Andrea, great job again. Kathy, thank you again one more time. That was so fun. Uh, I'm getting texts by a trillion people saying, you know, we need the Kathy and Gary show for the rest of our lives. Wanda, thank you so much. You know, I, I tend to not love co-hosts because I'm way too selfish when it comes to, you know, framing the conversation, but you were remarkable and, and thank you so much for the, uh, for the uh, incredible study. And I want to dig deeper into that. And I want to remind everybody who was on uh, today to definitely not miss next week's. I think it's going to be extremely valuable. Please make sure that you're signed up for all the emails, uh, all the notifications, uh, hit up the VaynerMedia Twitter handle or, or, uh, or make sure you uh, bookmark the uh, the URLs that are shared. We'll we'll be from Andrea. We'll, when will people be getting the details and for the exact time and promotion? And how can people that just stumbled on this through social media get signed up so they make sure they don't miss uh, future ones? We're going to be promoting this one starting this afternoon. So uh, yeah, we got you, we got you on film now. <laughs> next up next. So, yeah, you'll see it on all our social handles starting this afternoon. 
VaynerMedia's social handles, LinkedIn, Twitter, all rest. Make sure you follow. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Stay healthy, everyone. All right, episode's over. Like I said in the beginning, please leave a review and subscribe up on Apple. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to me. Thank you very much. Thanks, Gary. Today's highlighted review is Back Into Sports Cards by 5 Joshua 5. Just listen to episode 333 with Sports Card Q&A, and what a great listen. Getting Gary's insight into the hobby was valuable, and hearing the caller interaction was great. The quarantine has allowed me time to dig through all my cards from the late 80s and early 90s, bringing back great childhood memories. Now it's 30 years later and my son is playing sports, so my old hobby has become our new hobby. Good stuff, Gary, and I appreciate the text messages. Thanks to 5Joshua5. Keep those reviews coming. We could highlight yours next.